Hi. Well, today we are going to be um, moving through Genesis. We're moving at a clip. Um, Craig the other day said we might be done by Christmas, and that's uh, that, that might be true. Um, but so we're we're going to be in Genesis six, um, and we're going to be looking at um, Noah's Ark. And to be honest, I was kind of like, um, when you're just trying to go through the Bible, sometimes you're like, uh, the good thing is you can't just skip stuff. You're like, and I kind of have to be like, okay, God, what do you want to say? Because I'm preaching on Noah's Ark, which is pretty much the most, it's not childish, but like we all, we all know it. We, we know all there is to know about Noah's Ark. And I was like, Lord, you kind of got to reveal something to, be, to me about this because otherwise um, it's pretty elementary. Um, and I love that God's word can be understood and can be elementary um, so that, because he wants all of us to understand and know him. And I love that, but... Um, we're going to look at this, um, Genesis 6, um, we're going to, I don't think I'm going to skip anything. We're just going to go straight through, uh, one through four. Um, does anyone want to read it aloud for us? Just kidding. Just wanted to see if anyone would take me up on that. No one's hand shot up. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal and their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. We're going to look at this for a second. The sons of God married the daughters of men and created the Nephilim. And if you were here for our Jude study, you know that Jude mentions this in 1.6. And he says, And angels who did not keep their own designated place of power, but abandoned their proper dwelling place, these he kept in eternal chains under the thick gloom of utter darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the adjacent cities, since they in the same way as these angels indulged in gross immoral freedom and unnatural vice and sensual perversity. They are exhibited in plain sight as an example in undergoing the punishment of everlasting fire. So here Jude says we see the angels or the sons of God abandon their proper dwelling place and indulged in immoral freedoms, unnatural vice, sensual perversity. Um, and this union created the Nephilim. And the Nephilim means fallen, or, or more like cast down. And they represented a combination of the worst part of the spiritual world, the angels who abandoned their place with God, and the worst part of the physical world. Okay? And they represent the worst part of the spiritual world and the worst part of the physical world. And these Nephilim, or the descendants of the Nephilim, appear in several places, uh, but one of the most notable is in Numbers 13, 32 and 33, when the Israelites spy out Canaan. And you might ask yourself, is a Nephilim what we're talking about today? Is this what the lesson is about? Does this have like a point? Uh, not really, but it's super interesting. So we're going to study it anyway. Um, it says, so they gave the Israelites a bad report about the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we went and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. And also in Deuteronomy 2, 10 and 11, it says, The Emites lived there in times past, a people great and numerous, 
and as tall as the Anakites. These also are regarded as Rephites, an ancient people, as are the Anakim, but the Moabites called them Emim. So all these, all these peoples, all these names, the Anakites, the Emites, uh, the Rephites, when we see that name, they are descendants of, of the Nephilim. And, and the size of the Nephilim is mentioned in Numbers, but there's a greater detail in Deuteronomy 3.11, where it says, For only Og, king of Bashan, so if you want a biblical name and you're looking for a biblical name that's not used for a male, Og is available. Um, for only Og, king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the giants known as the Rephaim. Behold, his bed frame was a bed frame of iron. It is not in Rabbah of the Ammonites. Is it not in Rabbah of the Ammonites? It was nine cubits long and four cubits wide. Using the cubit of a man, the forearm to the end of the middle finger is a cubit. Okay, so that's 12 feet and six feet wide. And when it's talking about his bed, it's really talking about like his, his, his coffin, his, his beer. Uh, and they're saying, you can go see this now. It's like, you can go see this right now. Um, and I mention this because some people believe that the sole reason for the flood the sole reason God sent the flood was to wipe these people out, this, this union. Um, but we're going to see that there was much more going on in the world other than this. Um, and I really want to look at this statement real quick that says, where God says, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. Now, most scholars think this statement is about limiting the years man will live. This is when like, we start to see a limit to how long man lives. Because if you read Genesis, you see that it says they lived a very long time. Um, but the problem is we see people, after God makes this statement, I'm going to limit man's years to 120 years, we see people live longer than 120 years. The first person to die at 120 is Moses. So some people think, well, this can't be it. This can't be what he's saying when he says this. Um, he's limiting man's years to 120 because people live longer than that up till Moses. But, I mean, if you know God, God says things, and sometimes it doesn't happen immediately, right? It doesn't just like, boom, there, it's done. We know he told Abraham, you're going to have um, descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And it took so long that Abraham and his wife took things into their old, own hands because they didn't think it would happen, right? And you know that right after God said that, they immediately went to trying, Right? So we know that it can be a long time in coming when God says something is to happen. Um, and I also think God is good. I think if we're used to living a very long time, let's, let's say we're all used to, let's say 100. We live to 100. Okay, and we're all used to living that. And then God says, I'm going to limit their number to like a third of what it is so that we all die in our 30s. And that begins to happen immediately. That would be a little traumatic. We'd be like, what's happening right now? Right? Um, and we do actually see when Moses dies at 120, when he's the, the first person to die at 120, it says in Deuteronomy 34, 7, although Moses was 120 years old when he dies, died, his eyesight was not dim, nor his natural strength abated. So it seemed like a surprise. Like they were like, he still saw well, because that's the test. That's the test. You're like, can you see this? Can you see this, Grandma? You're good. You're good. And he still was strong, right? So it's like saying, well, he seemed healthy. Um, and we, we also have to remember that after Noah, right, people still have to repopulate the earth, right? So I think there's a purpose and a plan for why God allows things that he said to happen, that's going to happen, to take some time before it happens.
But there's also another thought to this statement of, of limiting man's years to 120. When he says, my spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. This could be God saying, I'm going to give them 120 years before I send the flood. Their days will be 120 years, right? Which seems congruent with how God works. Right? Whenever destruction is an option, right? he's, gonna, he's like, I'm going to destroy Nineveh. He sends Jonah, and he says, go, Jonah, and warn them. Right? When he's going to destroy Simon and Gomorrah, Abraham is like, oh. And so he, he pulls people out. Right? He saves Lot. Right? He never just does it. And so it makes sense that he would say, I'm going to give them 120 years to change their ways, to repent, because that's how God is. Right? And so that makes sense to me. Why he, would, why he would do that, how that would be the sense of what he's saying when he says, I'm going to limit uh, man's years to 120 years. But looking at them both and saying, well, what, what was it? Um, I think it could be both. He could be saying the same thing in one sentence because that's how God is. Whenever he says something, there's, when we read in the Bible, there's so much more to it than we can understand. It's so much deeper than we think it is. And so why should this be any different? Why should this be any different? Um, so let's go back to why this is all happening. Is it just the Nephilim? Is God just trying to destroy these people? When re- Genesis 6, 5, we'll pick back up. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. The world was corrupt. And a closer representation of that word corrupt is polluted to the point of ruin. Polluted to the point of ruin. Okay? So that's that's really my point. What I want to talk about today is recycling. We're not doing enough of it. Okay? Greasy pizza boxes, they can be recycled here in Florida. I didn't know if you know that. I just read that this week. No, but the earth is polluted to the point of ruin. Remember only a few chapters ago, God saw all that he had made And what did he say about it? What did he call it? He said it was good. He saw what he made and he called it good. But now every inclination, every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart were only evil all the time. It says it came to ruin. It was slowly but surely corrupted until nothing was good. That The earth was filled with violence. And notice that he doesn't just say he's going to kill the people. He doesn't just say the people. He says the birds. He says, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. 
It seems like he's not just talking about people. He's like the violence has spread. Remember we talked about Cain and he cursed the ground and the ground was crying up to him and there's just violence everywhere. The earth was filled with violence. And notice how the violence of Cain, the violence of Cain to in his line until now, right? Remember it traveling down his line until the whole earth is filled with violence and vengeance and hatred. Imagine families that wanted to visit vengeance 70 times 7 on another family that had done them wrong. And imagine a memory and a hatred that lasted a century. We see the violence of Cain has taken over the earth. It's just taken over the earth. It's continued to just spread. And notice what is happening. Okay, Adam and Eve, they polluted the garden and they were driven from the land. They were driven from the garden. When Cain killed Abel, God said in Genesis 4.10, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. There's a curse on the ground. And so he was driven from the ground. And now we see Cain, because of his violence, he's driven from the ground. And now the whole earth is filled with violence. And so the whole earth is what? The people, they're driven from the ground. It's just multiplied, driven from the garden until the violence of Cain, he's driven from that land. And now the whole earth is filled with this curse of Cain, this violence, this vengeance, this hatred, every inclination, every thought is filled with nothing but evil. And so they're driven from the ground. And just, and just a few, seemed like moments ago in our book, God had said it was all good. It was all good. But this is the curse of Cain multiplied down generations. But then there's Noah. There's Noah. It says, Noah was a righteous man and he walked faithfully with God. And if you ever feel like you've, you're like alone, I'm alone. I'm the only one trying to do this, right? I just imagine sometimes I, I get like that. And I, well, I, I can't actually feel like that because my, my wife is, is doing it. So, um, but like, um, and, and you guys are. You know, but sometimes, you know, you feel like, man, am I the only one doing this? You know, I'm like watching a show and I'm like, am I the only one that is appalled by what I am seeing on this show? You know, um, and I say it just like that. I'm appalled, you know, and it's like, um, and it's like, man, I'm the only one. And then I imagine talking to Noah and you're just like up in heaven and you're just like, man, I'm the only one. And he's like, oh, were you? Mm, that's, that's so sad. And you had, oh, you had a church of people who were doing it too. Oh, hmm. And I just picture him doing what my youngest does, doing this long, like, <laughs> had it so bad, poor you. And I'd be like, Noah, I don't believe that sarcasm is going to be present in heaven. And he'd be like, why are you here? And we're like, good question. I, I don't know. Um, but there's Noah. He's a righteous man, and he's walking with God. Okay? Uh, so we're going to read Genesis 6, 14 through 21. It says, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. 
Put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and them. Now notice Noah, Noah, God is using Noah, God is saving Noah, but as he's saving Noah, he's actually saving all the animals that he also wished to destroy. Right? Like he said, I'm just going to destroy all of it. But because of Noah, we might say not say like many people are saved, but many are saved through Noah's action because God decides to save him. So God tells him to build an ark, and I just read that, and it said cypress wood, but the original is actually gopher wood, and they change it in many Bibles to cypress wood because that was like a popular shipbuilding um, wood uh, that from ancient days that we're aware of, um, so they assume it's, it's cypress wood, but gopher wood could have been a tree that was um, extinguished during the flood. It could have been a process. Some people think it might have been talking about the process of putting the pitch on the wood, or maybe that the the wood, he was telling him to make it a certain shape. We don't really know. Um, and so we change it to what we think it is. Because <laughs> that's what you do. If you don't know the answer, you just change it what you think it is, right? Um, and it says the ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. So we're going to take it a minute, and I'm going to go, this is a cubit, and we'll measure out 300 cubits. Um, no, actually, um, it's 450 feet long by 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. So what that is, is that's Seven times the length of this room, seven times the length of this room, and two and a half times the width of this room, okay? And four and a half times the height. So it's a very long box. And if you're into this kind of stuff, it displaced 43,000 tons, okay? Because boat people are interested in that stuff. I was actually looking for like a cruise liner that was this size, and I couldn't find any, because even the smallest Disney cruise is bigger than this, just so you know. Um, so there are three decks and a skylight. There, the estimates suggest that all estimates actually suggest that all the animals could be accommodated in the ark, with more than half remaining for other uses. Um, and then he tells them to take his wife, three sons, and their wives, which is how many people? Eight, eight people. And eight, as we're talking about all these numbers that we see over and over again, like seven, three, forty-eight is the number of redemption throughout the Bible. So when we see that number eight, it's the number of redemption. And yeah, this is a story of redemption. I think we look at this and we think this is a story of destruction. This is a story of what man's sin wrought. You know what I mean? But this is a story of redemption. It's not a story about why God flooded the earth. It's about why Noah was saved. Why was Noah saved? He said he was a righteous man. But sometimes we see things, we see um, people mention, because they call Lot later, someone says, Lot was a righteous man. And from the story of Lot, you think, hmm, uh, I don't know. If, if, but, but righteousness, often we see in the Bible, comes from faith and in believing God. All right, We often think of the New Testament, and I know you've heard this, but we think of the New Testament, man, that's the grace book. That's where God has a new covenant, and it's about grace, and the Old Testament is about the law. 
And that's really why so many Christians and so many pastors and so many churches have decided, okay, we're not going to look at the Old Testament because that's a different thing. That's about the law. And the New Testament is about grace. But God has been the same throughout time. And the Old Testament is actually also about grace. Because in Genesis 6, 8, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And the word they use for favor actually means unmerited favor, unmerited, unearned favor, which also means grace. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord in the Old Testament. We see it. And this is the first time we see that word grace, not in the New Testament. The first time we see the word grace is here when it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace. This is a story of salvation. This is a story of God saving his people. And we see that salvation, from this story, we can see that salvation is something we have to take part in. We have to play a part in this salvation. God provides it. God provides it. He lays it out there. Here is a means I'm about to destroy This way leads to destruction. I'm about to do this, but I'm going to provide you a way out. I'm going to provide you an escape, right? But we have to choose it. We have to decide, right? Noah had to believe God. He had to believe everything God said and take God at his word. He had to believe that mankind was wicked. You know Noah is like he's going to the market. You know that his kids probably know, have friends. They probably know people. He could have said, well, that person's a good person, right? Well, that person doesn't seem so wicked, you know, but he had to believe God when God said, this is evil. He had to accept what God said about what was good because we see man starts going astray when they start deciding for themselves what is good and not looking to God and on what he says is good. And so Noah has to believe that what God says is good is what is good. And he has to believe God when God says that is wicked and evil and I'm going to destroy it. And Noah has to believe that he will do what he said he will do. Right? Because sometimes we think, well, God's good, so I don't really think there is a hell. But God's good. I don't think he would do that. That person's so good. It says in his word, but God said he would do it. And so we have to take him as word that he's going to do what he says. Then Noah has to believe that there's a means of escape. He has to believe God when God says, I'm going to provide a means of escape. He has to believe, okay. And not only that, but he has to believe that that means of escape is only through the way that God has provided, right? Because he could have been like, okay, well, building an ark, that's a lot of work. That is a lot of work. What if we just go to a tall mountain? What if we go to a tall mountain? That will work, right? He, he could think for himself, well, I can do a little bit of what you say. I can believe you, and I can like, make my own plan to kind, of, to kind of escape. Now that you've warned me, thank, thank, thank you for the warning. But no, he has to believe that the only means of escape is this, a way that God has provided, that God's way is the only way. And then he had to act. In order to be delivered, he had to act upon the word. That's believing, Right? I think we, we often like say, well, I believe this, I believe that. And, and so many Christians believe in Jesus, but when you look around, it's like, but I don't see it in your actions. I don't see you acting on what God has said. I don't see you acting out your faith. I don't see it. I don't see it real. It doesn't seem like you really believe it, right? He had to act in order to be delivered. 
And we see that he did because the last verse in Genesis 6 is in verse 22, and it says, Noah did everything. Noah did everything just, just as God had commanded him. He did everything just as God said. All that God said, the way God said it. And then we can see because of this belief in God and belief that God would provide the way out, we can see why Noah found grace. Because God knew this man, he may not be perfect because he wasn't perfect, right? Righteousness is not perfection. Noah was not perfect, but he believed God. And we know that he believed God because he did everything that God said just as God commanded. Just as God commanded. Even though... It was contrary to what the world was saying. You don't think everyone was like, what a good idea. Build a boat, right? Right, you're going to use this wood for what? I don't know if you know this, but you're destroying the forest right now, okay? The oxygen that we're breathing comes from those trees. And I can already feel a little bit less oxygen because of what you're doing, Noah. And so uh, the town is going to tax you for your oxygen because, you know, it probably worked like that, right? And there's some form of civilization. You know they had taxes, right? Probably pay taxes on this wood to the nearby town. Um, I'm just making that up. Don't believe that. Don't take notes on that. But it was crazy to everyone else. This is crazy to everyone else. And it might even seem crazy to his family. Might have seemed a little crazy to, to his wife, right? She's like, I can find better uses for your time. You know? It might have. I'm not saying, I'm not saying she, she might have believed him. The, the family might have been all in. But you know he's getting pushback from everywhere else. He's crazy. Just like you're crazy. Just like you're crazy. He, he was thought to be crazy. He was probably scoffed, mocked, called stupid. Most likely an outcast. But he did everything God said, just as God commanded him, even when, to the human eye, there was no way, no way this was going to happen. There was no way this was going to happen. He believed God, and just like Abraham, he was called righteous. So often, we, I mean, we'll accept grace. We'll, we'll accept the grace of God. And we say that we believe in Jesus. We say we believe in God. I believe this. I believe that the Bible is true. But do we actually, we say, we, I believe in God. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But do we believe God? Do we believe God? I can, I can believe someone exists without believing that what they say is true. Right? I can believe in Jesus without believing Jesus because it's not just about the cross. It's about everything he said and everything he did. And believing in Jesus means I believe he died for my sins. Believing Jesus means I'm going to love everyone as he's called me to love. I'm forgive as he's called me to love. I believe that everything he said is true. And so I'm going to live like he said because that is true because I believe God. I don't just believe in God. I believe him. I believe what he says. Do we do just as he commands, just as he said it? Do we submit everything to him? The word that they use the, in Hebrew, the ark is called teva. 
T-E-V-A-H. It's the same exact word. This word for the ark is the same exact word that they use for the basket Moses is placed in. Right? It's not a word for boat. It's the same word that they use for the basket that Moses is placed in. It's simply a device that floats rudderless and with no crew to operate it. It's, there's no way to control this thing. It's a box that floats. And it has to be submitted to the care of God, just as, just as Moses' mom had to submit her child to God. She didn't push it, go that way over to that rich woman. She had to put it in the water and trust that God was going to guide it, and God was going to lead it, and God was going to care for her son. She had to believe God, not just that he existed, but that he was going to do what, what he said he would do. And she had to submit it to him and let him take control and just turn it over, just like Noah's doing. This, is, this box is under the... It's, it's guided only by God's hand. This is how this word is looked at. It's guided, it can only be guided by God's hand. And man is but a passenger. Is but a passenger in this box. Are we letting God steer the ship? Are we letting God lead us? Do we trust him? Do we believe him? Not just do we believe in him. Do we believe him? Do we take him at his word? Do we do everything just as he commanded? Because he said to go into all the world and make disciples, not converts. Disciples, not converts. He said to lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. He told his disciples, you will do greater things than I've done. Do we believe that? Because that is what he said. Not just do we believe Jesus died for us, but do we believe him when he says, you will do greater things than these? Do we believe when he says, lay your hands on the sick and they will be healed? Do we believe that? Even though you may not in your life have ever seen it. Because this is the same thing Noah is going through. He has not seen it. It seems crazy. It's contrary to everything we know. But God said to do it. But God said to do it. Do we do just as he commands? The way he said it. One time, um, I was living with some friends, and, um, and uh, this one guy was kind of having a rough time uh, with his life, and we let him live with us for a little bit. Things got kind of crazy. But um, he called me. He was leaving work, um, and he, um, he pulled out, and he got pulled over by a cop, like, and he had been drinking at work. And so um, the officer came up and talked to him and then went back. And he called me and said, I need you to pray with me. Can you pray with me? And you're just like, this guy is calling me. And th this is the thing, guys. You can, you can like think that, like, because it's weird when you're like, let's just pray. But let me tell you something. If people know that you pray and you've prayed with them, when they need, when they need something, they will call you and say, hey, will you pray for me? And you're like, I thought this would never happen. Oh, yes, I will pray. And then you're like, God, please answer this prayer. This is the one time you got. Not that that's true, but that's how we feel, you know? And like, and he's like, will you pray with me? And I felt, man, I just felt like God saying, pray that the cop will let him go if you come and get him. And I was like, but what if that doesn't happen? Then he'll doubt you, God. And I don't want him to doubt you. I interjected. And so I prayed. Very generic. Lord, I just pray 
they will just watch over my friend. And whatever you want to happen, we just trust in it. And we just trust that no matter what bad happens, you can turn it to good. You know, and I pray that while he's in prison, he'll find you there if that happens. I just pray that you protect him from gang violence. You know what I mean? Just like, I didn't do all that. But I was praying, like, I just pray for generic things. And, like, and, I, and he, he lets me go. And he, call, he calls me back five minutes later. And he says, she said she'll let me go if you come get me. And I was like, oh. It was such a victory for him, but it was such a loss for me because it was an opportunity to show him, even though this is not how it works, even though this is not what I expect to happen, if I had prayed what God had told me to pray, and my fear was, what if you don't do it? What if you don't do it? Because we've prayed before and God hasn't always done it. I, but I didn't do just as he commanded. He told me what to pray, and I still prayed. I was still doing good, right? But I didn't pray what God said to pray. And if I had prayed what God said to pray, then he, to this day, no matter what happens, no matter whether we was walking with God, no matter what he doubted God, he would go back to that thing and said, but that one time that Nathan prayed for that thing specifically, it happened, though it seemed like there was no way it would happen. So I can't really 100% deny that God's there or that he answers prayers because I've seen it, because I saw it. Like, I have, the, I have that moment. That's, that's my faith. Like, I, I know apologetics, and I study that stuff, and I know why I believe what I believe, but the reason that, that you can never tell me that it doesn't exist, that's not real, because I've, I've been healed. I've been prayed for and been healed. I know that God loves me. He's, he's spoken to me. I've had those moments. Because you go back to me and you're like, well, what about that, though? I can't explain that. We have to do what God commands just as he commands. And I'm telling you, the things God says to do are always crazy. They, they never make sense. They're never the thing that you plan out. It's always, it's always every single time. That's why they call it stepping out in faith. It's like, because it's like that Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, and you're just like, oh, it's a good movie. Watch it. You haven't seen it. Um, and you're just like, I'm stepping out. It's dangerous. I'm going out on a limb. I'm not staying where it's safe. I'm doing what you said. I'm stepping. I'm going forward. And like that, listen. We sometimes, as Christians, we're like, man, why doesn't God do miracles? Why aren't we seeing the things in the Bible? And some denominations believe God doesn't do that stuff anymore at all. That's how they've come to, like, that's why we don't see it. That makes sense. But I think maybe the reason we don't see these things, maybe the reason I don't see these things happen all the time, is because I've taken such few, so I've taken such few and small steps out in faith. So few and so small. And, and some things like that are crazy. I'm telling you right now, I was walking through the mall and God said, go lay hands on that prayer. And I've heard things where like someone couldn't speak and they're like, lay hands on their tongue. And I'd be like, now that's a showstopper. You know, like laying hands on someone and be like, give me your tongue. <laughs> give me your tongue. You know me. You trust me. He did it. Good. But he knows me and he trusts me. Right? And like, God, that's a little crazy. That's a little crazy. And I'm not saying that's what God's gonna, God is going to tell you to do right now. But, but I think we have to get there. I think we have to, to, to take steps. You've got to go and see, oh, God did what he said he would do. Okay, God, that's crazy. But God did what he said he would do. Okay, that's crazy. And, and every time we get closer, it gets a little and little less crazy because of what we've seen and what we now know is truth because of what we have seen in our lives. I've seen things happen in my, lives, in my life, in my lives, 
many lives. I've seen things happen in my life that I can't deny and that are proof not only that God is real and that he loves me and that he exists, that he answers prayer, but that he does things even when I'm not expecting him to do it. Even when I'm not expecting him. I remember we went to this, um, it was John Paul Jackson. He was at a church and he just, and he was like, be careful if I tell your story. Okay, um, and, and he was just, and, I, and I'm kind of like, you know, um, eh, <laughs> we'll see. Um, and kind of like having a fear, because I've seen that kind of stuff happen before, and I, but I get a little like, he's going to point me out, and he's going to say something that I don't want anyone to know. Um, and, and, and he tells Daisy to stand up. And uh, she stands up, and he's just like, you were crying in your room last night. This is what you're crying about. This is what God says he's going to do about it. And she's just and, and we're all like, because you guys were there too, the day's parents, and we're all like looking at her and we're just like, did that happen? And I'm her boyfriend, so at the time I'm like, you didn't tell me that. I thought we were telling everything to each other. I didn't really do that, because um, I'm a guy. But and I was like, I was like, why? Like, that happened. That's crazy. And then he goes, someone in here, and I've been having the worst, and heartburn sounds like a little thing, but for like a year and a half, I was taking Prilosec every day and I couldn't stop taking it. And I would just wake up and just burning. It hurt so bad. And I was in a band. I couldn't sing. Like I was having these serious things. And he said, someone out there is having this problem and it's healed. And, and, and we're walking. And he just said, someone. He didn't point to me. You know, someone's going to work a miracle. I want him to point so I can be like, me. And I just, and so everyone's like, that guy. And I'm like, me. I got healed. Um, but I'm walking out and actually um, Daisy's mom, Dan, goes, that was you. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and I never had it again, ever, ever. And I've never, and I haven't taken Prilosec again or Zantac or any of that stuff. Like it just never again. And so I'm like, man, I didn't expect it. I didn't ask for. It. I didn't go up and say, I want some prayer to be healed of my acid reflux, because that feels stupid. <laughs> like this guy can't walk, and I'm like, I'm having indigestion, <laughs> real bad. You know what I mean? But like, but God still did it. God still did it. And God does want to do those things. And God does want to do those things through His people. But he needs a people who believe him and do just as he commands. Just as he commands. And I'm telling you right now, right now it's going to be like, I want you to go say something to this person. And now I'm going to tell a story about you, Craig. Sorry, if you're here and you tell me a story, it's going to get used. Um, so, oh, I was just going to make up an embarrassing, not true story. But no, Craig, Craig was uh, working, and Craig is awesome. Craig just like, he's one of those people that like, and Evan's like that too, where they just start talking about Jesus to people. And um, this lady was there, and she was going through something. Um, and he's like, hey, she's going through a divorce. It was rough. And he's like, can I just pray for you? And, she pray, and he prays with her. And then she like wrote him back or called him and was like, I cannot explain to you the feeling that I have because I had this like worry and this fear and this, and it was overwhelming me. And like, it's still rough, but that feeling is gone. And it's a small thing. It's a small thing. But we've got to be willing to step out. If we want to see God move, we've got to do what he says, do just what he says as he commands it. And I guarantee you, we will see God move. And I'm going to tell you, it's often, it's often not something you want to do. <laughs> you never like, thank you, Jesus, that person. Uh, you know what I mean? But he, but he will do what he says he's going to do. In Luke 16, 10, it says, He who is faithful with very little is also faithful with very much. And I'm always praying and hoping and desiring the great things and the big things. But to, to see the great things and the big things, we have to be faithful in the little things. 
We have to be faithful in the little things. And God is calling us to be faithful, to be his people, to not just believe in him, but to believe him. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, I just pray that your voice would just, that, that it would just be a knock on the door of our hearts and our minds this week that we just could not deny what you say to us, Lord. And I just pray that we would hear from you. And I pray that you would give us direction. I pray that you would tell us this week to pray for someone, to call someone, to to do something in your name, Lord. I just pray that we would have hearts that are open to hear you, that we would be listening to what you might say, Lord. And then when you say it, give us the courage, no matter how small, no matter how big, to do what you've said. Do just as you've commanded, Lord. And just like Noah, as we're walking out in the world, Lord, that we, I just pray that you give us the courage to be different, to trust you when you say this is good and this is not good, and to believe that you are the way and you are the only way, and not just believe it, like believe it with our whole heart, Lord. And I pray that we would act, that we would act upon what, on the grace that you've given us freely. Lord, give us the courage to act, that we could begin writing our own acts, our own acts as you begin to work out something new in this new generation, Lord. I just pray that we would be a people that act, that we don't just believe, that we don't just hear, but that we act upon your word. We act upon what you say. And I just pray, oh, I just pray as much as maybe some of us don't want this. I pray for opportunities this week to act on what you say. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.